You're listening to Bridges to Excellence, inspired leadership in payments and fintech. My philosophy is if you want to do great things for your customers, if you want to change your industry or even the world, you need to be clear on your mission, vision and values as a company. You need a purpose. You need a North Star. That's where I center my leadership. And so at Stacks, we're talking about our North Star being about providing our partners and the merchants we serve with the fastest path to growth through our embedded payments solution. Welcome to Bridges to Excellence podcast, inspired leadership in payments and fintech, bringing you conversations with payments' most fascinating people on top of their game. Leaders, influencers, experts, and innovators. Each weekly episode turns our guests' wisdom into practical advice. Their personal journeys are meant to inspire and challenge you to explore your possibilities. Here is your host, Desmond Nicholson. In this episode, part of our Trailblazer series featuring women of impact, I'm talking to Paulette Rowe, the CEO of Stacks Payments as of August 1st, 2023. Since 2014, Stack has grown to process over $30 billion in payments and serve more than 30,000 businesses. While based in London, Great Britain, Paulette was previously the CEO of PaySafe's Integrated and E-Commerce Solutions Division. She is a seasoned global executive with strategic leadership experience across banking, payments, and fintech. Paulette has held senior leadership positions with organizations such as Barclays, Facebook, Royal Bank of Scotland, NatWest, and GE Capital. Paulette is considered a strong advocate of diversity and inclusion in the payments industry. She has the reputation of having a tenacious approach to running businesses and teams with an unwavering dedication to creating and nurturing an inclusive working environment. Widely recognized as a prominent figure in financial circles, Paulette has earned multiple accolades, including listed in the Digital Banking Club's Power 50, a list of the most influential leaders in European financial services. Also recognized as one of the most influential women in payments 2017 and 2020 by Payment Source. In 2020, PowerList by Powerful Media voted her one of Britain's top 10 most influential people of African and African-Caribbean heritage for the second year, also named one of 100 executive women in tech to watch in 2022 by Women Tech Network. Paulette earned her MBA at the prestigious INSEAD Business School, often listed as one of the top two business schools in Europe. An accomplished executive with a breadth of experience, Paulette understands the complexities of the industry and inspires teams to greater success. A direct quote from Ross Crawley, founder and CEO of GSV and chairman of the board at Stacks Payments. With that being said, I hope you choose to come along on this journey with us. Enjoy the episode. Paulette, welcome to the show. Welcome, Desmond. I don't know what to say after that introduction. <laughs> Thank you. That was incredibly flattering. It's lovely. Uh, it's, it's great to have you here on the show, and thanks for your time. Oh, now, without further ado, let's get into it, shall we? Absolutely. Uh, 
Okay. In starting, can you give us an introduction, overview of Stacks Payments, your functional role, and who do you serve as customers, clients, and partners in the payment space? Yeah, well, Desmond, I think you captured a lot of it in your introduction. So I joined Stacks in August as the Chief Executive Officer. Stacks has had a formidable history. It's grown high growth consecutively for several years and reached that unicorn status that so many fintechs aspire to back in 2022. Uh, but Stacks at its heart is a payments technology company and uh, we have a direct book of businesses. So we work with small and medium-sized businesses and offer them payment solutions. But we also partner with software companies and independent sales organizations, ISOs. And with all of them, we're enabling flexible, multi-channel payment processing and invoicing solutions that we hope uh, helps them to unlock new revenue streams and drive uh, growth and success those those businesses. And as you mentioned, we have 30,000 uh, customers and still growing strongly. Good. And of course, we'll circle back later to unpack some of your salient points. Now, Paulette, take us to the important context of your childhood, your early life, that is, where you grew up and what your life was like growing up. How long do we have? <laughs> so, so I guess the first thing to say is you probably guess from my accent that I was born across the uh, the Atlantic. So I was actually born in, and raised in London, London, England, as you Americans like to say. I was one of two daughters of a Jamaican nurse who had emigrated to, to the UK in her teens. And I guess that link back to the Caribbean was kind of the start of me being very interested in all things cultural and travel and really understanding that the UK in particular is a real melting pot. When I was 16, I was one of two girls admitted to a boys' school. A long story as to why that happens, but I wanted to study maths and science and uh, it wasn't possible to do that at my own school. Uh, I, I went to the boys' school and then Post that, at university, I studied mechanical engineering, and there too, I was the only woman, and not only the only woman on my degree course, but also the only black person on my degree course as well. And I, I remember one of the things that really stuck with me was being in one of those tutorials very early on in the degree where the head of department said that, and remember, I was the only woman, he pointed out that all of the boys, the men on the course were sons of, in his words, captains of industry. And he was somewhat fascinated by the fact that some woman who was the daughter of a Jamaican nurse uh, yeah, and had been raised by uh, a single parent had made it onto the course. And he sort of su suggested I would be a little less likely to succeed. I had a very happy upbringing in London. It was challenging in many ways, being from uh, an immigrant family with a single mother. Um, but I was always brought up and taught to, to know that uh, being different is actually a strength and nothing to be ashamed of or intimidated by. Um, and I guess from a very early age, as you've heard, I was thrown into uh, working with a group of people who on paper I had nothing in common with. So I learned from a very early age you know, how to rub along with people of all sorts of backgrounds and build strong relationships. Multicultural. Absolutely. Now, where did you go to university? I went to Birmingham University. It was one of 
think four or five universities in the UK at the time that did this enhanced mechanical engineering degree. So it was four years full time. Plus I did uh, management and study uh, French uh, alongside it. So it was quite a, an exceptional course. And uh, Birmingham was quite, quite a nice place to study. It's a beautiful campus if you ever get to visit. Now, you got your MBA at INSEAD. Now, yeah. INSEAD and London Business Schools are often considered two of the most reputable MBA programs in the world. And I guess we may also throw in Harvard as the third for yes, safe uh, measure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. However, INSEAD and LBS are typically thought of as the top two business schools in Europe. What led to you getting into INSEAD's MBA program? And why INSEAD and not London Business School? Yeah, well, I have a quick confession, which is I applied to one business school. And that's very unusual. Usually when people want to go and do an MBA, as you said, there are a number of great schools out there. So they apply to a variety of schools. In my case, I knew I wanted to go to INSEAD. And it comes back to that sort of multicultural, really interested in meeting people from a variety of backgrounds. And so INSEAD, as well as being ranked as amongst the best in the world, is a truly international school. And in my year, there were 27 different nationalities at INSEAD, in my promotion, sorry, as they refer to it, at, at INSEAD. Um, and not only that, but you had to speak three languages in order to graduate. So for us Brits, that was a bit more of a challenge because <laughs> often, okay. you know, we spoke English, tick. You might speak French, which I did, tick. But the third was a bit more of a challenge. So I studied uh, Spanish uh, while I was there and had to passed the Spanish exam in order to graduate. But also going to INSEAD was part of my general love affair with France. Paulette, as your listeners may know, is actually a French name. It's a very old French name. It's a little out of fashion these days. And I remember at 11, reading about Paulette in my French school books and from then on being very curious about all things France. And the INSEAD campus is based in some of the most beautiful French countryside. So it was just a lovely environment. It was great to hang out with such a diverse group of brilliant students. And honestly, um, one of the highlights of my time on this earth so far. Beautiful. Muy bien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about as much Spanish as I remember. Truth <laughs> Don't test me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, what has been your career path prior to payments? Yeah, so coming out of INSEAD, I joined GE Capital. You mentioned GE Capital in the introduction, and I was moved to Connecticut as part of their global leadership development program, where they'd gone around the world and selected people from some of the top business schools in, in different parts of the globe. It was a great time to join GE. They were growing their financial services arm uh, globally, um, and I got to travel all over the world with them. I, I remember being invited to go on one of the largest acquisitions GE had ever done in, in the financial services space in Japan, which will, again, back to multicultural experiences. That was just a really brilliant thing to do as a recent MBA graduate. After my time at GE, I ended up working for them, as I said, in a number of markets, spent uh, three years working for them in France, for example. I joined RBS NatWest. I returned to the UK. Um, and RBS NatWest is one of the four biggest banks in the UK. 
Um, they had just come together as two brands and I joined the retail banking executive of what was then, it has changed a lot but since, but mm -hmm. what was then a very male and a very Scottish uh, executive committee. Um, so I was more than a little surprised when I was three years or so into my career at RBS NatWest, they, uh, they wanted to promote me to be managing director of the NatWest retail division. So that was taking on accountability for 1,600 branches and 20,000 employees. It was the jewel in the crown of the RBS NatWest uh, business. And so I, I was a little, to be honest, I was a little terrified about being given this huge responsibility. And uh, I actually said no. <laughs> I said, no, no, thank you, was my first response. And then I chatted to a friend and she's like, yeah, pull yourself together. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't be offering this to you if they didn't have the confidence that you could do it and you should have the confidence in yourself. So I came to my senses and took the job. And shortly after I moved from RBS, one of my jobs after that was moving into payments. So I did a couple of things in the fintech space and then got approached by Barclays, another one of the major UK banks, to run their merchant services division, uh, which at the time was processing one in three card payments uh, across the UK and was the second largest, still is the second largest processor in Europe behind WorldPay. So it was a fantastic time. That was the end of 2012 was when I joined and you've got tons of payments experience. So you'll remember that you know, around that time that things really started to accelerate in terms of digital payments. WorldPay had moved out of RBS NetWest into PE hands and there was a lot of money coming into the sector, a lot of new fintech starting up. So I'm really proud of the fact that by the time I completed my tenure, um, running the Barclays uh, merchant services business, we had still managed against that backdrop, we still managed to grow market share. Um, and I'd also led the transformation of the platform, which was 30 years needed to be retired and replaced with new technology that would allow us to meet the needs of you know, omni-channel and e-commerce, et cetera. Um, and so by the time I left there to, to join uh, Facebook, uh, we were processing 250 billion sterling. Okay, so uh, now what about PaySafe? Yeah, so PaySafe is obviously part of that payments career. So I went from running the Barclays book to joining Facebook, now Meta as everyone knows, and, and running financial services and payments partnerships team. And then I had worked at Barclays with a superb boss, uh, Philip McHugh, who had recently joined PaySafe. And he reached out to me and said, would love you to join my team again. So I went in to be the divisional CEO of the integrated and e-commerce division, which was actually a brand new division that they were creating to go after that integrated embedded payments uh, market. Uh, so yeah, I was for, for three years uh, working with Philip and a few of my other ex-Barclays colleagues that joined as well. Good. We have come full circle. It's August of 2023, and you're now the CEO of Stax Payments. I read someplace where you stated that you love the Stacks startup story. What is it about the story you found compelling that got you really energized? 
First of all, I hugely admire the story of you know, Sal and Sanira, the, the Stacks founders, who basically went into the ISO industry with a different model, with a software-first approach and a subscription model that hugely simplified billing for small businesses and were able to, as we've both talked about, grow that business um, rapidly over a relatively short period of time. And if you get a chance to look at the Stacks front-end tools, they are beautifully designed. That sort of focus on user experience and being a sort of technology slash software first company really comes across in the Stacks tool. Um, and getting to unicorn status, to also people of immigrant heritage who, and a woman CEO. I mean, it was a fascinating story and just a huge achievement. But the other side of it, the other bit that got me energized is that the investment by Greater Sun Ventures, GSV, who you mentioned, and Ross Crowley. They have, as an outfit, have proven time and time again that they are masters of creating value in the SaaS space. And they're also entrepreneurs. You know, these are people who've been there built businesses, sold businesses, and have used their expertise to help other entrepreneurs grow their businesses along the way. And so with their help, Stacks saw the potential of embedding payments as mm -hmm. this huge growth area. Um, so in addition to you know, going the traditional ISO route or going after small businesses, Stacks has been pivoting to work with ISVs alongside our direct offering. And so for me, having come from Paysafe, where a lot of my time was in that embedded payment space, as I mentioned, you know, seeing the potential, how much this market is growing and how much it really simplifies things for smaller businesses that they can have their payments and software in one solution. I was just yeah, hugely excited to be part of that journey. And I guess the last thing, and I know it's a long answer, but there's a lot to be <laughs> excited about at Stacks. Absolutely. With GSV and the board, uh, there is a vision that I absolutely share for being more than an ISO. And in fact, we're on a journey where we've moved from being just an ISO to PayFAC to now very much on this transformation to become a fully-fledged payment processor, ultimately owning more of our technology and owning the payment rails that, that support us. And I think that's hugely important because there's so many fintechs out there, they've invested in the front end, they've got a reasonably good front end, obviously maybe not as good as Stacks, but they've got a reasonably good front end. But everyone is using the same legacy players to support the payment processing. And that, I think, limits innovation. It limits potentially speed to market. And whilst I have huge respect for those the, big names that have consolidated and grown considerably over the last few years, it's hard to imagine that they're going to be able to provide the same level of service to smaller and mid-sized uh, companies that they have been able to potentially do in the past. And so we hear a lot from our customers that they like our flexibility, they like the attention that we give them, um, and they like the high-touch uh, service that we're able to offer that they're not able to get from the legacy players. Okay, now talk to us about Stack's recent acquisition of Apps Atlantic Pacific Processing System and what value it brings to Stack's portfolio and how does it serve your clients and customers? 
Yeah, so it's very much that the acquisition of apps is very much part of this journey of going from more of a sort of sales-led ISO to becoming a, a payments organization in our own right. And so with apps, we have our own bin for those who like to get into the technical details. And we also have a platform that we are um, standing up. It's not live yet, but will be live in 2024, which will mean that we can actually process end-to-end -end a transaction um, without having to rely, as I said, on the legacy super tankers. So it was the acquisition of some really strategic technology that will allow Stacks to not only own our own destiny more and be less reliant on third parties, but as I mentioned previously, I think this means that we can become a more flexible um, player and allow our customers to differentiate in ways that they may find more difficult to do with other partners. And then along with the apps acquisition has come a lot of additional really deep payments knowledge in terms of some of the people there. They've been in payments for 20, 30 years. They know everything about how you know, the payment process works from a settlement, clearing and settlement point of view, for example. So that's just been a marvelous addition to Stacks where you have people who really understand software and the, the user building great user experience. We've got great technologists and we've also built a team around some very deep payments expertise. Okay. Now, Let's segue into your personal style. Oh, okay. How, how would you describe your leadership style and philosophy behind it? So going back to my GE days, I was introduced to a very simple model called the four E's. And the E's were energy, energize, execution, and edge. And to be honest, it's one of the simplest leadership models I've learned along the way, and I've been exposed to many of them. But it's the one that I probably is my go-to, um, because I think those four things in a lead are, are extremely important. And then the fifth that I've kind of put more emphasis on over the years, from my point of view, is empathy. My philosophy is if you want to do great things for your customers, if you want to change your industry or even the world, you need to be clear on your mission, vision, and values as a company. You need a purpose. You need a North Star. And that's where I center my leadership. And so at Stacks, we're talking about our North Star being about providing our partners and the merchants we serve with the fastest path to growth through our embedded payments solutions. Um, and I also believe, and thank you for touching on this in the intro, that being different is a positive. And that's why um, it's not just about the technology, it's also about the people that you hire. And I am passionate about diversity. I am passionate about inclusion. And so for a company that was started by the son and daughter of an immigrant to a CEO now who is also the daughter of an immigrant, I have six women on my leadership team. Yeah, I would challenge many other tech companies to have that kind of gender diversity. Um, and HRSI, uh, they have a diversity and inclusion organizational certification. So I'm really proud that Dax qualified for that for the first time in November 2023. And so to me, that mix of a clear purpose, bringing the five E's as a leader and making sure all of my people leaders think and work through those five E's and then going out and getting the best talent regardless of background. Those are the things that I think have helped me be successful in the past and will help stats continue to thrive in the future. Okay. 
Now, is there a common theme in your career? What threads can we find between the various things you've done? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think the, when I think about it, the most obvious thing that sort of pops into my head is I enjoy being part of an ecosystem that drives commerce because commerce directly touches consumers. And I've enjoyed being in spaces that, that really almost every consumer interacts with in some way. If you're in financial services and you're in payments, you're seeing millions and millions of customers. And when I joined Facebook, just knowing that billions of people were using the Facebook apps was something that, that really uh, energized me, uh, that you can do something that's going to be used and enjoyed and make a difference, hopefully, to so many people. And I like the fact that I can experience my product in my everyday life. You know, I can go into a shop and I can make a payment and I know what that feels like. So that's something that I've really enjoyed. And just generally speaking, if you're connecting buyers and sellers, which is what we do in, in payments, mm -hmm. I think that is, and helping them help remove the friction, but also helping them transact safely and securely because fraud and all those things are just as important. That to me is, is the way in which you help not just the business to grow, but ultimately the economy to grow. So yeah, it's big picture stuff, but I think sometimes that's what you have to remind yourself of. You're not just there to serve your board or your customers, mm -hmm. et cetera. You're actually contributing on a much grander scale to helping the whole economy grow by connecting buyers and sellers. Absolutely. Now, Dr. Vanessa Weaver, DEI expert and founder of Alignment Strategies, has done extensive studies around a model called PIE, P-I-E, and I've heard you talked about it before. Can you tell us what PIE is at its fundamentals and how its practical application as a tool can be put to work in one's career advancement? It's so funny that you raised PIE because anyone who's worked with me probably knows that when I mentor, when I'm asked to talk about Things that have been important in my career, I always reference the PIE model because I think it is something that just simply works and everyone should think about. So, you know, PIE stands for performance, image, and exposure. Sometimes I use the E to say executive sponsorship, depending on the level of the person I'm, I'm mentoring. Sure. The exposure in, on its own might, might not be enough. And the whole idea behind PIE is... Um, yeah, if you say, and let me test this on you, Desmond, but you've read it, so you'll probably know the answer. But yeah, if you ask most people, what yeah, the route to your next promotion, how important out of 100, how important is performance? Yeah. I would say 50%. Yeah, at least. exactly. Exactly. Most people are going to say it's at least 50%. In fact, yeah, and, and this is what we find is some of the differences sometimes between female and male executives. Women are very focused on, hey, it's just it, how I perform. But the pie model kind of throws that on its head and says, everyone has to perform. It's table stakes. So once you're performing, actually that becomes 10%. Mm -hmm. of what you need to do to get promoted because you know there's a pool of people who are all doing well who are all performing 
So then you need to think about the other two. You need to think about your image and you need to think about that exposure. You know, let's say your image is about 30%. So image is not necessarily what you're wearing, but more about do people see you as a future leader? Do they see you in that next role? Are you seen as contributing outside of your role in terms of helping the company more generally, maybe taking part in employee resource, you know, just mentoring other people. And then the exposure is, do people even know that you're looking for your next opportunity? <laughs> do they know that you're performing and what you've contributed? And that, to me, is something that really rings true, both as a people leader myself, but also in my own career. I've seen times when I've just had my head down and been working, 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 that that hasn't necessarily led to me moving as quickly as when, yes, I'm performing, but I'm also carving out a little bit of time to make sure that people understand, hey, this is what I'm doing and creating a network. Now, since exposure is such a big factor, what kind of tips you would give to people um, to really enhance their exposure? Yeah, so first of all, you've got to find the time and that can be very difficult and it can be difficult if you're a parent or if you're looking after elderly parents, you know, you've got commitments at home. And so what I've tended to find, I don't mean to generalize too much, but I tend to find that women spend less time on that aspect of their career. So I would join, and particularly if you're a woman, there are so many networks now that are available um, through um, organizations like the ATPC, ETA, American Banker. Um, and sometimes people will say, oh, I don't have the time or I don't want to be involved in a network like that. I don't see the point. I would say, just do it. Go, because you'll meet some incredibly talented people You'll meet allies along the way who want to support and find the next talent. And so being in those networks are important. I always tell people, you have to have your one-to-ones with your line manager. There are line managers who don't necessarily find the time or enjoy having one-to-ones and they may put them on the back burner. I've always been that pain in the derriere by <laughs> managers who've said, yeah, no, we need time. And that time is important because, A, you need the feedback. Yeah, if Absolutely. you're not sat in front of them, hearing from them directly what they really think about the job that you're doing, you could think you're performing and they may think you know, something very different. But also, it's an opportunity for you to tell them about your career aspirations and where you need help and what things you want to do next and get them on board with how you want your career to progress. So to me, those are, yes, the networking is super important and there are lots of good networks out there that you can join. But the other thing is network internally, speak to your line manager, speak to HR and speak to leaders in other parts of the business when you can, because often, as you'll know, when promotions, et cetera, are being discussed, it requires more than one person to be rooting for you in that room. Now you've touched on networking. Um, your network is your net worth. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Now, these are quotes that have gained traction over the years. Do you buy into them? I definitely believe in networking. And I've been amazed at how many times I've been able to reach out to people that I've worked with in the past or simply met through a networking group and you know, had some 
invaluable advice or they've helped me solve a problem or they've just helped me get my head straight on something. The other quote about <laughs> being the average of the five people, <laughs> I need to think about because tricks <laughs> of diversity and inclusion, I like spending time with all sorts of people. <laughs> <laughs> so that one I'm a little less sure of but no absolutely I think the friends you surround yourself with are very very important and when I mentioned when I was offered the MD role at, at NatWest this this huge job as I talked about a few minutes ago it was one of my friends now that friend could easily have said hey you know what yeah you're right you're not ready you're way too confident you need more no instead of that she was like Paulette What's the worst that can happen? And if it doesn't go well, we've got your back. We still love you. And that's the sort of thing that I think is incredibly important. Now, given your experience, what advice would you give to women just coming into the payments fintech industry? Well, I would say it gets better and better. So uh, it's still tough. I still don't see as many women, apart from in stats, where I think we're doing a good job. But I yeah, would like to see more women. And so first of all, I would say do it. It's a great industry to be part of. It is getting better. I think a lot of companies are conscious that they're losing out on some incredible talent by not casting their net wider. I've talked about some of the fantastic networks that are out there that organizations like the ATPC, ETA, American Banker, go online, get involved with these companies, go to the conferences and meet people. Um, and because if you're not making headway where you are, there are so many new companies. There are so many companies that are growing fast. There's so much change still in this industry that there will be other opportunities for you to grab hold of and thrive in your career. So what can women in payments do to advance when they feel stuck in place on the career ladder? I think if you feel stuck, it's, it sort of goes back to some of the, the things that I just shared. So first of all, go talk to people. Let people know that you are looking for the next opportunity. So I'm not saying say go and whinge, but go and be very proactive about, hey, I've been doing X. And it's, I feel it's time for me to do something new and be as specific as you can be about what that looks like. And if you don't know, go research it, figure out what sort of opportunity would suit you next. And I think it's also about, there are times when you know, the opportunity just isn't there. The job that you want is not available. I always say that in large companies, you either get promoted too early or too late. <laughs> It's never exactly the right exact time. time. So well, while you're thinking about your move or while you're waiting for that move, find a project, find a strategic project, volunteer to do something, do something that's going to help you learn a new skill, that's maybe going to get you into a new environment, get you working with new people, it's going to help with your exposure, going back to Pi. All of these things are filling up your piggy bank so that you can move forward as soon as that opportunity presents itself. Network, talk to HR, talk to other leaders. Make sure that everybody knows that you're looking for your next opportunity. As a quick example, when I joined RBS NatWest, I went in, I was running products and marketing for the NatWest retail brand. I then felt that I wanted to be a general manager, that I had the skills to be a general manager. And one of the boxes that I felt I needed to tick was a sales box. 
I just made that known to my line manager, to HR, et cetera. And I would just say, if something comes up where there's an opportunity for me to go and run a sales team, I would love to do that. And here's why. And here's why I think you should give me that opportunity. And lo and behold, after a few months, a, one of my colleagues re retired and I got moved into uh, that role. So I went from running um, a team of about uh, two, three hundred to taking on a team of over a thousand sellers. And that it was that job that got me promoted into the MD role. If I hadn't had that experience, I don't think they would have thought I was ready sure. to do the much bigger retail banking role. Now, Paulette, what aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? I think I'm very adaptable. So starting all the way back from being from the daughter of a Jamaican nurse, coming from a, an underprivileged background in London to being at INSEAD with all of these amazing people from these different nationalities, you know, being in an engineering school where I was the only woman, only, only black person on my course. It's that ability to adapt, which to me is to show flexibility, to show empathy, and to also show um, resilience as well, because let's face it, sometimes these things are a challenge at first. You've got mm -hmm. to build relationships, you've got to build trust. People are suspicious sometimes of difference. So yeah, I, I go with adaptability. Good. What is the biggest threat to the payments industry right now? And conversely, what is the biggest opportunity? <laughs> well, I think there is tons of opportunity um, because, again, that process of connecting buyers and sellers is not going to go away. It's going to continue to transform as consumers demand more convenient ways to pay as, as retailers want to provide better service and less friction to their consumers. So I think the opportunity is there to continue to innovate, to use new technologies. You know, AI is on everybody's lips, but there are going to be, I think, some really interesting ways to use AI technology internally to improve efficiency, but also potentially uh, using AI to enhance the service to merchants and then merchants to pass that on to, to their consumers. Um, coming from Europe, where there was a more accelerated option of some of these payment technologies, there are things like faster payments that have still really got to take hold in, in the US, which is pretty much mainstay now in the UK, instantly paying from your bank account. That could be seen as both an opportunity and a threat in, in the payment space. If it's depending on how you, you talk about payments, if you're thinking about payments as only being cards, then yes, there are going to be other ways to pay than using your debit and your credit card, digital wallets, faster payments that will be, I think, become a big thing. But payments as a whole, that pie is just going to grow and grow. And just coming back to embedding payment in software, which is where Stacks is firmly focused, that is growing so fast. And we see new verticals every day that uh, people are saying, actually, I can build software for this application, for this type of merchant. And if I can add payments to that, that's just going to make their life a whole lot simpler. So big thumbs up for staying in payments. Good. Now, what are you most excited about Stack's future? Well, I think 
first of all, it's the, um, it is about this ISV space, integrating payments with SaaS siders. It's about the journey that I talked about. So moving from this path that we're on um, and we're making good progress on between ISO, Payfac to fully fledged payments provider. And so there's that whole opportunity to take what we do to, to an international stage as well. So yeah, just lots of opportunity. And one thing I haven't touched on is some of the value added services that we have at Stax. So we have a very well-known compliance surcharging solution called Cardex under the brand Stax. Sorry, Cardex provided by Stax. I'm sure my CMO is going to beat me up for not getting that quite right. Uh, but that is, you know, that's another way in which we can help our partners and our merchants reduce costs and offer more flexibility. And then we're also a center of excellence in recurring payments. We offer a subscription payments to our, our direct merchants, but we also offer subscription software to our partners. Going back to the future of payments, I think subscriptions is one of the things that's just going to continue to grow in terms of convenience. And that becomes another way of offering our partners other avenues to generate revenue and reduce cost. Good. We now move into our final segment. Ooh. The Lightning Round, Bridges to Excellence, Inspired Leadership in Payments and Fintech. Paulette, in this segment, I pose these rapid-fire questions, and you respond with a single word or a sentence or two. Are okay. you ready? Loud a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> now, if we ask your friends, what is one thing they would say is most different about you? I was going to say adaptability, but I've used that. So how about consistently positive? I think I do a good job of being half glass full most of the time. Okay. What is the one thing you've never done but have always dreamt of doing? Oh, my goodness. I've traveled a lot, and I have a friend who's visited 100 countries. I think I'm in sort of high 60s, so I would love to achieve that that milestone as well and visit a hundred countries that I think just seeing more of the world is one of the best things you can do. What is the best career advice you've ever received? Well, guess what, Desmond? It's pie. I actually think if, if there's one thing to take away, if you listen to one thing that I've said on this call, I would say pie is an extremely useful tool. How would you define yourself in one or two words? Well, consistently positive, but no, I think I, Always up for an adventure. Um, yeah, up for an adventure. Whether that be an adventure in business in terms of being part of the Stacks Pack and going on this incredible journey, but also in life, you know, taking time, as I said, to, to travel, to meet people. Uh, yeah, I love it. What is the one talent you wish you had? When I moved here, the flat or condo, I think, as it said uh, over here, that I moved into has a piano. No. So that could be a good goal. Good. What cause that is important to you? Well, look, we've talked about DEI, so that goes without saying. But uh, I sit on the board of a water utility, 
And that has really spurred my interest in climate change. It's unbelievable how this is affecting the water supply, not just in the UK, but in other countries around the world. So I've been trying to learn more uh, in my role as the board, have a little bit of an impact there. Okay. What's your guilty pleasure? I would say, <laughs> if you haven't watched it, you should, RuPaul's <laughs> Drag Race. I just love that program. It is so life-affirming. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great fun. Okay. Now the final three questions. What's something you notice about someone when you first meet them? I think it's going to, I have to say, height for two reasons. One is post-COVID, obviously, we all talk to each other on camera and then you meet someone and the person you thought was tall is small, etc. And I'm actually tall. And so people often remark, about my height. So often the conversation starts about, oh, you're taller than I thought you'd be. Okay. What's heavily played on your music list right now? Okay. So my partner is in charge of music and he has everything on his playlist from like En Vogue to, uh, he was playing the soundtrack to the Rocky Horror Picture Show the other day and Mumford and Sons. I mean, it's so eclectic. So it's hard to pick one thing because he's constantly changing what we listen to. <laughs> okay. And last, what drives Paulette? Making a difference and all the better if that difference is about, involves learning and experiencing new things. Paulette, it's been fun. A trailblazer indeed. Any parting thoughts to share or comments before we wrap up? As you said, it's been fun. Thank you so much. Some great questions. I'd just like to thank you for the time. Paulette, again, thanks for being part of our Trailblazer series featuring women of impact and best wishes in your new role. Many and thanks. to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And never forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you excel. You've been listening to Bridges to Excellence podcast, inspired leadership in payments and fintech. Be sure to join us next time for more conversations with another of your colleagues in payments and fintech. Insightful conversations in their journey to excellence. For transcripts and other materials covered on the show, visit us at desmondnicholson.com.